All right, we are here today on Left of the Projector. I'm your host, Evan, and this week we'll be talking about the 1995 movie, 12 Monkeys, and I have on the show uh, Kasim Whimsy and Steve from the Intervention Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, this is, uh, I, don't, I think we were must have been talking about this movie, but this is one of my, I've seen this movie countless times, not until... I hadn't seen it recently, but it's, uh, we were saying it's not exactly the most uplifting movie, but it's a, a fun movie nonetheless, you know, time loops and, uh, and the destruction of the free world or all of the world. So I don't know. I don't know if you have, uh, any, uh, sort of, uh, just general like reflection on the movie and then we can, you know, get into the actual plot and such. You want to go first, Steve? No, you- <laughs> You go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I don't know. Gen- general general thoughts, just like surface level. Um, time travel in the 90s was very orange. <laughs> <laughs> it was very orange. Um, also, I like how it was time travel in that like in that era of movies was idealistic a lot of the time. I like how 12 Monkeys made it a not stable thing. I like how it made it like a dangerous thing. Um, I enjoyed the aspect of time. People are not meant to time travel. Like, and and you can see that in the reflection of how his brain starts to degrade. It's dope. Um, And then, I don't know, just like general thoughts about all kinds of stuff without spoiling too much. I don't know. We, we spoil the heck out of movies when we, when we talk about them anyway, but like, yeah, I didn't, realize i guess but i mean because i've watched this movie a million times before too i didn't realize i guess like the whole existential self-reflection of watching oneself die in youth until i you had me watch the other movie and then i was like oh my god like i had to go back and watch the first part again because i was like blown away by it so yeah yeah just as a for anyone who doesn't know 12 monkeys uh which was directed by terry gilliam took this his version from a about 30 minute movie from the 1960s called Le Jete, and it's mostly still shots of photo- photographs with really haunting narration and music so anyone who hasn't seen that it's worth it's on YouTube but uh, yeah I mean we'll we'll talk about the whole all that too so I don't know what you what your thoughts are Steve yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, I watched that La Jate as well, and it was the same thing. It, it is a lot more shocking when you see, you know, what that guy goes through as well. And, you know, it, it was interesting. And again, I guess we're going to spoil it later. But um, I thought, like, as a leftist, there's some good commentary in this. But then you read about Gilliam and, like, it all gets, you get a little discouraged by by his actual beliefs, which I guess we might go into as well. Um because I think there, there's some decent commentary, which I'll talk about as we go, th- or we'll talk about as we go through. But um, I don't know that he actually believes any of the dialogue that he has in here, unfortunately. No, just as like a as an aside. I mean, we don't need to. I've read some articles about in about Terry Gilliam. I already kind of knew he wasn't. He's kind of like a reactionary conservative type, you know, which I guess shouldn't surprise anyone. Kind of talking out against the Me Too movement and. A number of other things, but I think you're right. I think it. He seems to be able to separate his political and other views from his filmmaking because I don't yeah. feel like the movie, this movie particularly, 
feels very like reactionary or conservative bent to it. If anything, it's more like a leftist anarchist kind of tinge to it. So I don't know. I think it influences a movie like any movie. You know, that's the whole directors are influenced by their, you know, their surroundings and their beliefs. So it's just to throw that out there for anyone who doesn't know about Terry Gilliam. That that's really interesting too, because like I was thinking of while I was watching it, I was thinking about the fact that a lot of the leftist points that were being said were being said by an actual crazy person. Yeah. So it was like he wanted he like he was expressing how he didn't believe those things based on the fact that he had the voice of those things, which were all like extremely accurate, like TV, you know, is messing up that generation and entertainment continues to, you know, soil the brain and all the stuff that he was saying, but he was an actual crazy person. Like, so it was like, it was basically like throwing the whole conversation away because apparently only crazy anarchists believe this stuff. So it was like, I was listening to it and while I was watching it, I was like, okay, but then the foil, the protagonist is also absconding from the law. And he's also trying to do these things. So it's very, it was a very conflicting, almost like he was trying to set up a paper tiger argument with just the way he did the narration of those dialogue, that dialogue and what you were talking about, leftist theory and all that. So I don't know. It was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, that that's, I hadn't considered that, but I guess it, I mean, that's a a thing that's a common theme on this podcast and in movies that are inherently from Hollywood is that even when directors are trying to say something that's potentially political from the left in any, even if it's very mild, it ends up being sort of muddled one, because that's not the message Hollywood wants or two, it's that the director or the writer or whatever, isn't really believe those things. And so you're writing from, again, a reactionary conservative perspective. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so the, just to, as a, we'll go through the movie, of course. And so the, the, the general plot of the, the setup of this movie, aside from the kind of the stunning opening shot was where you have the, the scene you mentioned uh, about the uh, airport and someone running through, you don't really know what it is. You kind of have this dream sequence and it actually makes it more, I think even more powerful, like you said, if you've seen the French uh, film um, in it, but we, it starts in 1997 is sort of a virus that destroys 5 billion people. So basically everyone alive and everyone who's left ends up being forced to live underground. And they have sort of a, a scientific time travel program that they somehow established the technology for that will enable to send people back prior to the virus. And that would allow them to not necessarily stop the virus, which I think is also something interesting. When I was younger and watched this movie, I thought in my mind, like, oh, they're trying to stop it. Whereas I think really what they're trying to do is get a piece of the virus before it sort of mutated, where they can use that as a cure to then return to the surface. So that's the the general layout. And you sort of have this. The first thing I wrote down in my notes about the the kind of the opening shot of underground is they still have prisons. They still have criminals. And you're yeah. still like forced to live in the same way that you lived above ground. Like that didn't go away. Prisoners are still slaves, effectively. Yes. The volunteering is, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that that kind of went into, you know, some of the imagery as well, like from a, I guess, a leftist perspective as well as 
the it's interesting i found that the mental institution the prison in 96 and the prison in the future are all effectively the same they all look the same don't they so it's like you know that it's and so I, I thought a little bit of a commentary on how, how bad mental health conditions are, which I think everyone <laughs> yes. in this country knows. Yeah. And the, yeah, and they have the, and, and it, I thought it was pretty also, again, I'll reference it, a, you know, probably too many times is that French film Legete, they had some of the same imagery where they're sort of lying in these little hammocks that they then used in the, in the, cause I sort of wonder myself, like, what's the, why is they in these cages in hammocks? Like, it seems like an odd choice. But then when you see the photos from the original, it kind of makes it more depressing and disturbing. And you really, like you said, like they're volunteers. People's minds are not capable of withstanding, which is what you said, Cosmic Wendy, which is the people, the, the time travel is not perfect. Like they barely have it down to a science. And I think yeah, that's what makes it so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all experimental. And I'm pretty sure most of the scientists aren't scientists. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 goes that goes to the theory that I was thinking about when I watched this. I shared it with Steve. I didn't share it with you, and I'm going to save it towards the end because it relates to what you just said. And, oh. I, and, I, and I then saw it, looked it up online, and apparently it's like people. I'm not. I'm like that. The I'm not the person who thought of this idea. Oh. And maybe it's possible at some point I read this and it seeped in my mind, and I didn't actually think of it, you know, subconsciously. But we'll we'll get to the scientists that we see in the very first shot with them talking the woman i don't know her actual character's name they all yeah like scientist one i don't know bot oh because so in the in the so it's interesting in the the imdb it lists some of those people as botanist geologist zoologist astrophysicist microbiologist engineer and poet those are the different scientists that are in the movie so like you said they're a poet a botanist i mean i guess some of them have legitimate reasons for being involved, but like you said, it's some of them are actual scientists, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Poet, poet's interesting, right? Because I think it seems like in the movie there's like a decline. It's like art in decline, right? There's no art in the future except that one painting they put up when he goes back. And even when he goes back to the past, you know, there's that one scene where he's in the theater and it's like decrepit and they get attacked in there. So it, it seems like art in the film there's there's not a lot of art and when he does show it it seems to be like he's he's kind of showing a decline of art as time goes on yeah, yeah. i think the only time actually the only time i was thinking about the art too the only time that you do see art is later in the movie when they're at um uh the goins house for that party and they're in this like very rich manor that's the you know the head of i don't know what the first name of the of him, but Dr. Goins, the, uh, the, Virologist. Uh, yeah, he has a very wealthy home, you know, it's gigantic and he has a bunch of art, but it's completely not, there's not, there's no mind being paid to it really, other than just, unless you're wealthy, like you don't have art. Yeah. Yeah. It's not thought. And none of, none of the pieces were necessarily thought provoking either. They were like background scene type art. It was like stereotypical art that you see in, Every like, yeah, it was it was meant to be not really as noticed as everything else that was going on. But you're right. Yeah, I was trying to think of it. I'm like sitting here going, was there any other art? No, there wasn't. And I didn't notice that. But that is interesting. Yes. And so the, the main protagonist, as you mentioned, is played by Bruce Willis. It's James Cole. So he's one of the prisoners. 
he's been sentenced. I think they mentioned what he had been sentenced for, like violent crime or something. And he has many years left on his sentence. He's probably, you know, I guess at the time, like a 40 year old man or something like that. And they basically say, like, if you help us with this project, because you're kind of intelligent, you can remember things, we'll reduce your sentence. And so it's really not a choice. It's like he's been told, like, if you do this, you're doing this. And so that's when sort of I wrote down kind of as like the different loops. Because I feel like they probably sent him many more times than is depicted in the movie. But they only show like three or four. I think that's why you see his, like he's later in the movie, he's like, has seems like his head hurts. He's in, you know, not in good shape. And so they sent him in the past, but they sent him too far again. Like the, it's the science isn't there and they send him to 1990. And this is where he ends up in the psychiatric hospital. Again, like you said, Steve, not, you know, the, I feel like it's the typical movie depiction of a like quote unquote nut house, like in Terminator in, you know, name one over the cuckoo's nest. nest. Exactly. Awesome. Like, white walls, you know, uh, <laughs> people sitting around playing checkers or I, I mean, I don't know, like it's a very quintessential thing. But I think that's like a very important part of the movie because you were introduced to Brad Pitt's character who is excellent in this movie, who plays yeah. Jeffrey Goins, who you don't really, you get like a couple hints that he's a wealthy person and he's not supposed to be there and his father would get mad. And, and I don't know. I don't know what you thought about that whole bit. I know there's that, those little tinges you mentioned about him saying like, Oh, the TV is just commercials and it makes us want to buy stuff and commercialism is bad. And it's like, that's a good message. But it's again, like you said, it's being stated by this mentally ill person. And so like, Oh, obviously it's not, this doesn't, this isn't true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh man. I, I love, I love Brad Pitt in this movie. Cause he's, this was like at the beginning of his career too. So he was just going all out. So it was my father, when my father hears about this, like every, every three seconds, but he would, he would go on like the leftist tirade and then he'd be like, when my father hears about this. So it reminded me of like, you know, kind of well, wealthier people that go to college and learn about leftism. And then they're like, <laughs> and so they, they talk about all this stuff, but they, they don't have any practical application for it. But I mean, later in the movie, he does actually have practical application for it. But at the beginning of the movie, when you first meet him, he's very much a, when my father hears that I'm in this institution. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I love and I, and I, I think this was the first movie. This was his first nomination for an Oscar, I think, was, oh. was his portrayal. In the, and he is fantastic but yeah he's like unlike the other patients there's like a comfortability with him right because he knows who his dad is and he knows like he makes the point if his dad finds out he'll get him out of here to a i forget how he puts it like a comfortable um like resort for mental for 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 people who are (laughs) deemed crazy so i mean yeah where the actors go or whatever you know yeah yeah there was one thing in the hospital that like kind of struck me when he's talking with the guy who thinks he's from space and he says like escaping certain unmade realities, plaguing his life is what he does. And I just thought that was like, that was interesting for, um, for Cole's whole position in the movie. You know, like I think he questions that at times, (laughs) like when he comes back at the end, he says like, no, I am crazy. I need the police to arrest me. So I thought that was kind of an interesting statement by that one guy. Yeah. 
And that, I mean, that, that's, I think they, like, intentionally did that because, like, all yeah. of the whispers and all of the uh, the, un the unraveling of Bruce Willis, and he hears, and we're hearing that from that perspective, too. <clears throat> we're intentionally hearing that this guy, this other guy believes in the unra unraveling of the reality that they live in. And that's why, like, he keeps thinking that he's insane is because of the fact that that these crazy people make sense. Whereas the other people around him in either scenario do not make sense. They like, they're telling him that he's doing things and it's, it's, it's confusing, but the people who talk to him, like the guy who whispers through the wall and that guy in the insane, insane asylum, it's all that stuff makes more sense to him. So of course he's like, my brain is melting. I yeah. need to be arrested. <laughs> well, I mean the, the time travel is, it's, it's scrambling his his brain i mean in a non-scientific term whatever it would be it's you're not meant to time travel and obviously we don't have the capabilities so we don't know but i mean it's clearly not like a natural state for him you know it's this uh yeah and i, I also took note of that little scene or the little kind of whispering from that other person and i thought i felt like it was like a little bit of like a foreshadowing that i had never really noticed before you know, again, like constantly when I watch, when you're watching movies and you're taking notes as opposed to just kind of watching them, it's, you're not always thinking them. And, but the, the, the line I think he says to, or Brad Pitt says is you're here because of the system. And I think that's also interesting in that that's, but he doesn't say like, because it's a broken system, it's just the system, because that's just, that is the system. It's not broken. It's actually <laughs> working as intended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says and he says if you don't buy you're mentally ill. So it's basically yeah. like you're here because you were a, you you weren't uh, a good a good uh consumer, consumer. a good uh a good American uh yeah. that you you didn't buy enough, you know, useless crap and so now you're in a mental institution, <laughs> which is an interesting <laughs> sentiment too. Uh yeah. But yeah, so the the whole idea, I think it's not far after this. I don't remember if it's before he goes back, but I think when he's inside of the mental institution, he realizes he can't stop the virus, which I think is something that I sometimes thought like, oh, well, you're going back in time. He sees his own murder, but he couldn't stop it. So I guess that's the idea that the this time loop or this time situation is very... I know like a closed loop. I think that's the the way you would call it in like the time loop kind of thing. It's he can't undo the it happening. He can only simply gather information. Can't change the you can't change the path. Like it always happened. I, I also wonder if these scientists are figuring out who actually has been in the past from the science, like the, the, the therapist his, you know, his, the, the lady that he, he meets and everything, she actually compiles all of the time travelers into like a couple of collections. And part of me always wonders, like, are they pulling from those specific people? Because that is documented now in the past as people who actually made it to the, the future, to the past. Well, like, like the picture of the of the one from the French Revolution, and then yeah. those. It's like was she actually influenced to make that book because of the people who were sent? Is that what you, is that what you're saying? I'm saying that like the scientists, maybe they have her research book, and they know which ones they're supposed to be grabbing in order to send them back to the hmm. past. 
Oh, got it. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. Like, but, because yeah. it, it is a closed loop. They are, they're very central on who is there and who is not. So like the guy, the guy that comes to him in the airport too, always meant to be there, you know? Yeah. Cause he's the guy that's on the, like Gurney and the, the war in the war. Right. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. like, he's like the guy in the cell next to him at the beginning as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's Jose, I think is the character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he's, they're constantly, I mean, but he isn't, he's like the backup kind of person. He's, it seems like he's sent to kind of make sure things are going right, but he might not have the same skill set as, you know, as Cole does. And so, yeah. He's there because he can remember things. Like that's the thing he constantly says. He has a good memory. I think that also brings me to just a mention of the the French film is that they kind of talk about how they pick people based on going into their dreams, essentially, and figuring out that they have strong memories of their um, their childhood. Is that right? So like they pick gold. Which for- it's yeah, it's like a strong link to the past or something. Like a strong memory with a link to the past. So he's got the memory of the girl, the woman's face at the at the at the airport right and so that makes sense as to why they're chosen like he kind of weaved that in by saying he you know has this strong memory he can remember things he remembers the phone number of like the the cleaners he's supposed to call and all of these different things and so uh and and i think there's a couple times i think also he they show him seeing the commercial for the Florida Keys. And I think there's another flashback again, where he again remembers the scene in the airport. He's clearly, I guess it's ironic that he gets, one of you just said before is that he's, he's not mentally ill or having anything go on at the beginning. But as the time goes on, he actually seems to belong in a place where he no longer has any grip to reality. And it makes you question the actual like reality of if that memory was in fact him to begin with, or if it was somebody else and then he fulfilled that role. There's a bunch of questions that I always have about that time travel loop. Like I said, the psychiatrist book and her documentation on all of the people being one of them. There's so many like questions that it poses about how the time travel works. Is his memory correct? You're like, <clears throat> It's strong, but, it, you know, children's memories will fill in faces. Everybody's memories will fill in faces. So you just don't know. Yeah, because there's like and, one flashback where he sees Brad Pitt's face, right? Yeah, as, he as does. Yeah. yeah, But it has, he you has know, the wig and the mustache, so he's not, yeah. it's yeah. not easy to recognize. Like, would you recognize yourself, a picture of yourself from the future yeah. with like different features? Probably not. Yeah, but he, he does. He does see Brad Pitt being the one who's going on the plane. Yeah. In one of the memories that he has, and uh, like his brain is obviously degrading as he continues to try and time travel. And Evan, I never thought about the fact that they probably sent him more than than what we see, but that makes sense because as like every instance of his time travel, he's like very severely more damaged. Like every time we see him, and part of that is that so there's there is also a show that's based on this. It's a much different. It's sort of like the basic premise is the same, but the entire I think three or four seasons is far different than this. And that in that show, they're constantly sending him back, you know, to the point where he's becomes like ill and because it's I don't remember it's nuclear power. I don't remember, but whatever it is, that's it makes sense that it would cause degradation of, of your like psyche and your health and everything. And then so the 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 um I think it's when after this after his first trip back to too early 
it also makes me wonder is he meets Jeffrey Goins in the hospital who then becomes part of this army of 12 monkeys. But did they mean to send him to 1990 to meet him? So he would have that understanding because they obviously know who he is, right? They, but the like sequence of events for him to having been arrested to hurting people to then ending up in the hospital, like seems random. I don't know. Did he give Goins the idea of calling it 12 monkeys? Yeah, I, I definitely wrote that down yeah. I, I, as a question. I was like, did, yeah, yeah. yeah did, is thing. he the one who like was 12 monkeys, his idea kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. He implanted that, like the seed of this thing, which he didn't know what it was. Cause I think when he goes to that party later on, or maybe it's after that, when he's inside of the, their little headquarters and he's going to go do the releasing of the animals. I feel like he mentions, he goes on this little tirade, which is like one of also a best, a great scene about how, he knew who like the psychiatrist knew about him because of the things that they could see from his memory from being in psychiatric hospital. So he, they knew what he was going to do because of all, I know I don't remember the whole exact thing, but it leads me to believe that Bruce Willis is actually the catalyst for the army of the 12 monkeys, but not the virus. Right. No. So I think the, I think the answer to your question, Steve, I think he is responsible, but he's not responsible for the wiping out of 5 billion people. Yeah. Just, you know, giraffes and lions wandering Philly, yeah. Boston. Is it? I thought it was New York. Was it's it New Philadelphia York? or Baltimore. I think it's Philadelphia because it? Philadelphia was the first city that was the vi- virus oh, got released oh. in. Right. Okay. That's right. And then so the so he goes back home or not home, I guess, to his, his original timeline. And was it 20 years in the future? Something like that. It's like 2035. 2035. Okay. So he's older than he's got to be like 50 then if he was eight or something in 1997. So yeah, he's, you know, almost 50. And this is when they make a mistake and they send him back to 1917. And the first thing I, I thought like, oh, 1917, like wouldn't it have been cooler if he got sent to like the uh, the, so, the uh, Russian revolution? That would have been a lot cooler. <laughs> French, uh. <laughs> but yeah, so he goes back there. He gets shot with like an old vintage, you know, gun. And he sees his friend, which then is what tips off the next scene, which like you said, like the book. Because the next scene, he goes back immediately to 1996 when he meets Dr. Rayleigh for the second time mm-hmm. in this whole speech about these prognosticators who claim that they have some knowledge from the future, which I thought was pretty cool. And also, how does that fit into her being a psychiatrist? Make ready So didn't, didn't her like mentor or whatever kind of give her some crap about it a little bit oh, during right. their conversations? And like... That's the thing too is like people were giving her crap about it, but I mean the the males the male like even in the nineties were just not cool to her at all. Like that one doctor was super gaslighty the whole time. Like she said, I, it was my mistake. What else do you want me to say? Isn't she being defensive? I was like, God, this is horrible. And like, and like, <laughs> like, what mistake did she make? Yeah. No, she didn't make any mistakes. The guy disappeared. <laughs> it's like it's like she didn't she didn't actually make any mistakes. It's just it's one of those things where it was like that guy was such a jerk to her. And then the other, like I said, the other therapists later on, as you see her talk to other professionals, she is also on this this path of like people don't believe what, what she's talking about either. She is suffering from her own Cassandra complex as she continues to diagnose it. Well, it seems also it would make sense to me that so Bruce Willis's character gives 
Brad Pitt's character the idea for the 12 monkeys. It also seems like he gave Dr. Rayleigh the idea to do research about people because he was talking about how the future, he basically was in that little scene where he's telling them why he has to make a phone call. It's because in the future, there's going to be a, uh, you know, the virus and such and so on. And that, that creates the string to make her become the person who writes this book. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, for, I forget if she's, I think she says it when she's giving her talk, but I had to look it up about like what Cassandra's based on. And it's based on what, like a princess of Troy. Mm, or, yeah. With the, the Cassandra, Cassandra is based on a prophet. Yeah. Who and, and, was a yeah, gr- yeah, Grecian prophet who prophetess who would give people warnings about stuff, but no one would ever believe her. Yeah, I read something that said she was condemned to know the future, but to be disbelieved when she foretold it. And that just like fits everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, but she's led to, again, I think she, it's clear that Cole is like this focal point of everything, you know, that creates the future from the past. And then he goes back to like re-witness it because like again except, because, the virus. except the virus but because it's this closed loop his going back in time and seeing himself when he was a child leads to him then becoming the strong-minded person you know and also mm-hmm. withstanding the virus presumably because he was exposed to it at the beginning and you know i guess the idea is that some people are immune some people are not and that's you know mm-hmm. any virus but it's yeah it's very um yeah the cassandra complex is interesting and then you do see, I think it's around this time, also before Cole kidnaps Dr. Rayleigh, you see the the guy with the blonde hair, who we learn later is, you know, the perpetrator of the entire thing. And I just wrote in my notes, like, he's just an eco-fascist, which is yeah. basically what he was. Yeah, he literally was. <laughs> he decided. He and didn't talk to anybody about it, made his plan, got access, killed everybody. Like. It's kind of funny mm. that we're doing this right after Ted Kaczynski died, the uh, the father of ecofascism. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, yay. Like, I, I guess I guess when I guess when people listen, to, I guess when people <laughs> listen to this, it will have been a few weeks later. Oh uh, yeah, that's we, true. We'll go back in time and we looped this to. I'm gonna go back release. in time. <laughs> One oh, thing we'll that we time loop it. We'll just we'll we'll exist in yeah. parallel to a main event, but not actually affecting anything. So I, I thought it was kind of interesting, right, that – so this came out before 9-11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the threat – like this guy that releases the virus is an American, an internal threat. And I just kind of wondered if this was made after 9-11, would he be an American or would it be – it would be probably an immigrant, right? Probably not. But also security would have been a lot different too, because that's, that's yeah. when everything changed. Yeah, that's a good like point. you wouldn't have been able to walk around the way I like, I, I distinctly remember the difference between how airports were. Yeah. I'm aging myself a little bit and how they were and how they are now. And nine 11 changed all of that. So that whole entire sequence would have been incredibly different. Yeah, incredibly different. But you also, well, I, I, the way I would have pictured it in my mind is it would have been a white person but he would have like gone to like the Middle East and been radicalized and then come right. back to America to work for the pharmaceutical company to get the virus right. or something like that. I don't know. Mm. Or China or something. Yeah. Like any of the enemy states, right? Depending on what year it was made. Yeah. Well, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing about this movie that I thought 
fit the time, like the nineties, you know, the, the name of the group that, um, so, so I guess he, he kidnaps Dr. Rayleigh. They drive to Balt, no, to Philly from Baltimore to, because that's where he believes is the army of the 12 monkeys sort of headquarters. And they find the little, you know, the symbol on the wall and they go in and they find the other people who are there, not Brad Pitt's character. And mm-hmm. I think they call themselves, they're part of the FAA. I, I didn't write down what that stood or if I did, I can't find my note, but it, it reminded me, I feel like in the nineties, there was always a, there was a, it felt like a very large grouping of these, you know, nonprofits that were, you know, pro like animal cruelty or against animal cruelty and all these things. So it seemed like he was fitting into this movie, this idea of, you know, the, this Greenpeace. Yeah. Greenpeace or whatever it is. Just, this group was just a bunch of young people who were trying to, you know, stop the capitalists from doing their, their bullshit. Dude, so that's just like the propaganda that they gave us in the 90s about these terrible eco-fascists and all like they they used to portray them as being just these either crazy hippies or, you know, whatever. Young idealists. In the 90s. So that that makes sense that they would have been a, a member of something else before being members of the 12 Monkeys. But that's interesting. To think about because I didn't I didn't even think about that until now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't either, but it just reminded me because I was thinking, and again later because they released the animals like to prevent them from being like in captivity you know, in quotes. Well, literally they are. So it's kind of like this, uh, you know, um, this weird thing. And then the the other thing that you mentioned it before is this guy Bob who like talks him through the wall and seemingly like goes around. What do you guys think about that character? Like that. I don't want to call yeah, it a character, but that. So I, I wrote a question on this. And, and so he's, it, I think in the credits, he's credited as Louie. Okay. And, the, and the homeless guy is Louie. The homeless guy who tells him to take his teeth out so they can't track you. Yes. Is Louie as well. So I, but then there's no clear indication whether it's the same person or not. But they have the same like raspy voice. Um, so, you know, whether it's that guy who finally got sent back and realized if he took his teeth out, he could just stay and, and it's the same person because he obviously knows he knows everything about what he's doing. Right. He's like, you just want to stay with that woman. And he, and he says that at one point. So I, I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be like, again, his mind melting and him having these thoughts as just a disembodied voice or whether it was actually that homeless guy who would follow the same path as him. Yeah. So, yeah, on that same vein, like, because we're getting it from his perspective again, I mean, he could have super, like, imposed that voice in his own mind while he's interpreting it. I really think that the guy who's talking to him through the walls is not is not there. Yeah, I don't think he's there. That's what I thought as well. I don't think he's there. And I think that in order for his reality to actually make sense, he had to assign that voice to someone and it ended up being that homeless guy because he was saying all the right things. Mm -hmm. But if you think about that, what that guy was saying out of context, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's just a crazy guy talking to him. It's not actually, it's, you know, coincidence you know, you know, causation does not equal correlation. And it's, it's not, it's not necessarily the same thing. So like, for me, I've always thought that disembodied voice is just his mind trying to sort out everything that's going on, because he literally mentally cannot handle it himself. And I have to say one thing in the credits on IMDb, it says Louis slash raspy voice. 
So it's literally oh. how his yeah. how the other so it literally is credited. That's wild. That's so good. Though. That's, what, that's what you said. It's like raspy voice. It really is that. And I agree. I, I don't think until this time did I make really make sense of it. But I, I like both. You both said the kind of the same thing. It's the take of it being not him. It's like him talking to himself to rationalize or because he's it's like he's having it. He's like having an out of body experience almost like with the whole the thing. I mean, it's very confusing. And that's when they go inside right before they go inside to the 12 monkeys group. And they, you know, Dr. Riley is like still doesn't believe this. It's still too insane to her. And then slowly, I think he, I think this is when he disappears in like the, the woods. No, they go from, they go from there to the theater and then to that. I think the theaters after this, then they go to that Goins's house. Mm. Well, then they go in the woods and she, and he like puts her in the, in the uh, boot of the car, the trunk of the car. Okay. And then, and then he goes to the party, and then he runs in the woods and disappears. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so so I think he I think he disappears between those two, and this is when they tell him because he's he he learns that Army of the Twelve Monkeys supposedly is the one in plot, and then they pardon him. Like he yeah. wakes oh, up yeah, in yeah. the um I forgot about that. He wakes up back in his future in like that weird mm-hmm. room. I think that's what the art isn't that where the piece of yeah. art is. Yeah, they hung it. Like where he could see it, like yeah. just the one piece of art, and then they were like, "We hear you like music." <laughs> yes, because well, that's the thing too. They seem to know a lot about what is happening to him when he's in the past. So, is it that they can like enter his dreams, and so they're able to tell like his subconscious, or is it simply he shares all this information and he doesn't remember it? That's sort of where I land. Is like he comes back, he like debriefs what happens, but he's so distraught like he doesn't remember that they they mention in that scene he they she's the the female scientist says what does she say exactly she said something along the lines of when you returned you were intoxicated inebriated something like that and you told us you you know so i wonder like, is it that that that's an after effect of time travel? Is that he is literally divulging the information? Or like you said, they're scanning his dreams because that connects it to the short film that it was based on. So it's it's difficult to tell 100% on that one. Like, yeah. I can't. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's they clearly have like technology, but you don't know what the whether they're using it. And yeah, he was like basically saying like he believed that that was no longer his reality. It, it seems like at that point, the past is now like his reality, like his whole, you know, and I think that's when he tells him he wants to go back to 1996 because one, he feels comfortable there Two, He becomes accustomed to Dr. Right to Dr. Rayleigh. You know, he likes her, even if it's just like a centering piece for him and he convinces them to send him back. And this is when he goes to the animal rights, um, or the house for the goings house. And, uh, you know, it's like the continuing of this time loop that he he can find out about the virus now, but he can't stop it. Well, I think this is also when I think while he's gone at that point too, Dr. Goins is now being gaslit again by her friends like in her apartment 
I think that you were talking about yeah. that too, where they're all telling her like, oh, this is crazy. And this is when she sees like the picture of him behind Jose in 1917 in France. What well, f- first, first she sees the story on the news about the boy and she learns that he, he was hiding in the barn and Cole was right the whole time. Right. And Which, that's what kind of like triggers her to, to look at that picture. Right. Which he claims he didn't remember, but there's no way at eight or nine years old, he would have remembered that that, and then it becomes unclear. Did he actually know, or is it just like a luck situation? <laughs> So I don't know if you remember, I don't know, I don't know how, how much older or younger you are than me, Evan, but there was a, there was a very similar case to this that happened in the nineties where this kid pretended that he was in the well and he was actually in a farmhouse. And I distinctly remember it, but in 90, 90, what was it? 1990 that he, he was, he was brought back or whatever. Is that when the barn thing happened or was it 93? No, that- I think it was, it was the 96. 96. 96? Yeah. Because yeah. in 96, 96, I was 12. So like, I, I'm just thinking in terms of like, he was eight, that, that event happened before 1996. So I remember distinctly the same thing happening in real life. So I'm wondering like, he could have absolutely remembered that event happening, that news event happening, because when little kids get affected, you kind of remember big news stories like that. I don't know, just an aside thought as far as like my own lived experience, <laughs> but like right. in '96, I was 15, and I I definitely remember the sto- a story about a kid in a well. Like that yeah. struck a chord with me as well. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like it's also one of those stories like they tell you, like it's this yeah. cautionary tale of like don't pretend. Because he mentions like the not crying wolf thing, I feel like that. I remember that as a kid, like that around that time too. Yeah, I was I was fourteen in ninety six, and so it would have been. It makes sense that that would have happened. It would have like stuck in your memory. Yeah. So like yeah, I I mean I I distinctly think and that's a very very much a a nineties kid American thing though for sure because I think everybody has some interpretation. There was like three events that happened with some kid getting falling down somewhere and our news was only like three channels. So like <laughs> that's that too. Like, yeah, you would. <laughs> yes. And so, th- so the, the whole like scene of him at the, you know, the, the party I think is interesting because Cole thinks he's going to be releasing the virus and, but he just doesn't want his dad to know that he's going to be releasing a bunch of animals that he's not actually, doing anything that revolutionary, which is also, I think is another little, like it makes sense in the plot, but like as a jab from, you know, uh, Terry Gilliam being like this rich kid, you know, is considers himself like this little anarchist or whatever you want to call him. And he, his big thing is to like let a bunch of animals loose. It's not really very, they did kidnap his dad though. And put him in like a a senator. What is he? A senator or something? I think he's just like the head of the, He's like he's like a farm ahead. He's like a he's a oh, virologist. I mean, he was like a farm ahead. Yeah, that's pretty leftist. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty legit. To be fair with you, like, people. Yeah, <laughs> someone did, someone did that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Without guess, the kidnapping, you're right. But the fact that they kidnapped him and put him in an animal cage, I think, is is on par with actual leftists. Yeah, that would and, that would get some uh, some attention. I don't know how relevant it is, but like there's throughout it as well. There's like a, some imagery of like humanity kind of descending into like animalistic behaviors, right? There's like that scene 
there's a scene in the hospital where the monkey's getting injected. And then the scene when he's in his present time getting injected, it's almost like exactly the same. And then there's the scene in the van where Brad Pitt and his army, they all act like monkeys, right? So like, I don't know if that's supposed to mean anything, but there was some imagery there as well. Well, at the very beginning of the movie, I don't, at some point they say that the earth had like been turned back to the animals or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the, the script at the beginning that made me just think of like when everybody was like the dolphins have come back to venice during COVID and all that yeah. stuff like that yeah and he sees the and it's also it's funny because he sees the lion or the bear and then the you lion. know in the in the future and the lion then he that's what he's scenes you know sees in the you know in the past but he wouldn't have been able to have seen it then because he was a child he wasn't yeah. at that moment but yeah it's it does have that very like primitive eco-fashy kind of Back to the animals vibe. <laughs> that bear scene cracked me up so bad because the bear just like screwed off yeah. after posturing. And I'm like, dude would have been eaten. Like, there's just no way that bear would have just postured and then fucked off. So it was just really funny to me. Like, then, and I remember watching it as a kid or younger and being like, oh my God. Like, but watching it this time around, that was just a funny little thing that I was like, that bear would have totally eaten him. <laughs> and I think it's around this time too that Dr. Riley or Rayleigh, uh, I think it's yeah, Dr. Riley, she constantly is saying throughout the movie that she recognizes Cole, you know, like throughout it. Yeah. And it and it brings me, I think, again back to the the French film. And also like with the imageries of remembering someone's face, like a woman's face, it's kind of slightly reversed. But if, you know, mm-hmm. knowing what's going to happen at the end with her being at the hospital or in the airport and seeing his face, do you think that she would have had, would that memory, like, what, what do you think about that? That she recognized him as a child, but. Because the very. She... So go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, cause... oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm just wondering if maybe she was also in the airport when she was a kid. Well, she was in the airport as an adult, right? Because she runs up right. to him. And then she she looks directly at the kid yes. in the final scene and smiles at him. And it's <sighs> it's it, like in that moment, it's like she recognizes that that's him later on. Because she smiles like kind of knowingly like, oh, okay, that's because he uh-huh. is always saying that in his dream, he's seen her. So I think maybe in that second, she kind of recognizes Oh, your dream was just what happened to you in the past, and that that might be you. So, so she smiles at him. But why does she remember him though? Before that happened, right? Because in like nineteen ninety well, yeah. ninety five. Yeah, I mean, I I read something that was just like they were destined to be together, and therefore this just like something in the back of her mind is is just always you know has like a something about him. So I mean, I don't know. Well, the idea that Cole is like somehow like influencing all these events that somehow influence the uh the virus but not like kind of off to the side it's possible that she also is one of those like key you know figures or people that without these different events happening you know the the also like he wouldn't go back in time if not for her message to have been left as like a joke so like there are all these different little pieces like the the phone calls mm-hmm. right yeah, I, I wrote some notes like, and again, these aren't all mine. These are things I found, but like, I just had like a section of past influences the future, and there's like parallel images are like a theme as well. Yeah. So 
Cole, when he goes out to look at like Philadelphia, when he's collecting samples at the beginning, it's like shot for shot when he does it later. Mm-hmm. There's the bear. He sees the bear in the store, like the stuffed bear. And then he sees the bear outside. The dream is like the same frame for frame, but there's tiny differences. His eyes open and close the film. Um, he has those like broom showers in both 96 and, yes. 2000, and 2035. When the, sci- when the psychiatrists are interviewing him in, in, in 90, they're positioned in the same way as they are in 2035. So there's a lot of stuff that's like the images are very similar. Yeah. That's the panel of doctors. Yeah. That's very like Terry Gilliam style. Of yeah. This, uh, I like that. I, I didn't, I didn't, I noticed there was some of the, the animal Philly was similar, but yeah, shot for shot. It makes perfect sense to have that same perspective as you're walking out. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so we find that this point too, is that their plot was really just to do the animals and then this is sort of like the last, you know, the payoff of the movie, the last 15 minutes or so when they get their disguises to go to the airport and he has his fake mustache on and his, you know, his, uh, you know, they're going to go to the Florida Keys, which I think is a ran- uh, just a funny random thing. Although I feel like the Keys were like a very pop, very 90s. Which it's also in the commercial at the hospital. There's yes, a commercial right, for right. the Florida Keys. So that influenced his interest in going to a place. So he's a good consumer. He's, he wants to go yeah. to the to the to the uh, the place they tell you, and so they told him to go there. <laughs> and, and then the other little peril thing that happens is that he makes the phone call for like not realizing that by making the phone call in the past, it it's instantly in the future, and then Jose comes back to like give him the gun. Now, what do you think their reasoning behind giving him the gun was? What it was. Why give him the gun at the airport before all of the like the payoff scene where he's like running down? Like what was the just just before that? Just before that, sorry. The the only thing that makes me think that that Louis could be a real person in the past is Jose says to him, Why'd you take your teeth out? That was stupid, man. Like, does that mean they can't track him without teeth and they could never have found him if he hadn't made that call? I so maybe that that's too. why they wanted him to die. Maybe that they wanted him to die, and that's why they gave him that gun because they couldn't control where he was going to go in the future. Because he if, came, be, he became unpredictable. Because he became a yeah, what a rogue variant or whatever. But so if he had gone to the key, like if he had just gone to the keys, like they didn't catch him, he doesn't make the phone call. He gets on the plane with Rayleigh. They go to the keys. They're enduring himself. Like what is that? That doesn't really. How does that hurt the like the scientist's plan? I guess unless they still want to continue to send him back. Well, yeah, because then the little kid doesn't have the traumatic memory that would draw him to have a great memory oh. to begin with. Uh huh. Of course. Yeah. Because of the trauma. The trauma is the whole reason why he has a great memory to begin with, not because he's like super intelligent, but because he's sur- survived through a lot of trauma. So he needs to have that event. That is actually the event that has to happen. Is he has to see Guess his what? own death. So he has to have the gun to pull it out, and then they have to, the police then have to shoot him because, okay, yes, that makes that makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. quote unquote sense in the in this time loop reality. And then the, the the thing that I was actually just thinking about. So also because you're talking about TSA pre TSA, the other scientist, the eco fascist, who I don't think they name him. I like that. He's actor. got a name. Does he? 
Yeah, he does. I just I don't remember what it is. And they say his name a couple of times in the movie, but it's so I can't well, whatever it is. He they make him open like a a, a vial of yeah. God, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so they wouldn't like have done that it? even pre TSA though if you had scientific and you know you could check scientific um things at the airport and they wouldn't make you open them. Yeah. Back then. But it also felt like as they were, as they were opening as he was watching them it's almost like he wanted that to happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. he was hoping that they would open it. Like could they He's reveling just... in it. He's like and he, and he's he's the one that opens it and says yeah. to him it doesn't even smell. And that, like right. Yeah. right. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh." And so that's like that's patient what is it? Patient ground patient 0 whatever it is. The 1 0, yeah. Yeah, yeah that guy, the poor TSA guy. Yeah. Was it called uh, TSA then? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't remember. Yeah. It was it was still TSA. Yeah, they just had no you could just like walk through with whatever. I remember pre 911 airport. You you could go to the gate and wait for someone. Unlike yeah. now you can't go through. If you didn't have you, a ticket. You could literally wait 10 minutes to get on a plane. Like get there 10 minutes before your plane was going to leave. <laughs> so so this so this is where I'll mention the theory I already mentioned the see before is. So he gets onto the plane. He sits down in his in his seat and the scientist is sitting next to him and he mm-hmm. asked her like he they they don't there's no like clearly the scientist knows something and she said mm-hmm. and he says well, you know what do you do and i think she goes insurance and so oh, i was thinking she this was in she was there to ensure he got on the plane and she was part of it they the scientists all wanted the world to end oh. and yeah I, I agree with that and and i Whoa. think even i think even cole realizes he's not there to stop it He's there oh, to yes. get them a sample for a cure later. Yeah, right. he says that. He says that we're never supposed to stop it. We can't stop right. it. It's already happened. They're all eco-fascists yeah. that want to end the world. Because that's also why you have like zoologists, geologists, microbiologists, like this collection of intellectual minds that are going to like rebirth society. And they purge most of 5 million, 5 billion people. I don't know how many people were a lot, like then. Was it five and a half billion? So there's probably only a couple hundred million people left on Earth. They can repopulate the Earth. It's all like, quote unquote, clean. And there's no technology anymore. It's like going back to this primitive eco-fascist state. And what she really wanted at the time, she was on the plane also perhaps to get... That's also why that scene is so important. It has to happen. Pure sample. They need a pure sample from them. Maybe she was supposed to get a sample then. She was supposed to get, I don't know, something. That messes me up. I just thought that she was her from the past and that she was just an insurance agent. And like, then she became a scientist after the world fell apart. Like I never in a million years thought that like she put herself in the past so that she could. Oh, that's messing with me now. So is, Oh my God. I'm looking to see is her, what she's credited as in the. That's wild. She's the astrophysicist, I think. Right. Yes. Carol Florence, I think, is the woman's name. Yeah, so oh. she's so she's an astrophysicist, which also I think unexpectedly also makes her say, like she says insurance. And so I saw that I'm like, oh man, this is, I never noticed it before. And then I Googled it, and then there's some article from like Screen Ranch or something that said, like, oh, the theory that you know makes it seem like they all wanted to do it to begin with. And really That's... they were using coal to implant the idea of the army of the 12 monkeys. It almost seems like then that the scientists were orchestrating everything. Yeah. 
that they were actually like the oh, that that guy was just another tool. Oh, just a slave to their prison industrial is, complex. Blowing my mind. Yes. Oh, that was another thing too. You said at the beginning. I don't remember all the things that Cole was in prison for. He was in prison for violence, but mostly it was antisocial behavior and not obeying social protocols. Oh, because they do say a lot of times in the movie that he like like obeying things like they have to obey. Yeah. Like that's another thing of like this authority idea too. It seems like they wanted to, these scientists wanted to like wipe away everything. I'm, I'm, my mind is blown now. I'm going to have to rewatch the end of that movie again, just so like I can. I, I, think I wonder it how makes many sense, scientists right? are actually in there. In, in, oh, in like the airport and stuff to like ensure that everything goes according to plan. Yeah. I mean, you wonder too, presumably that guy dies because he's exposed to the virus so heavily. Yeah. The whole time. And he's specifically going to all these targets. Like if you look at it on a map, I think there's some site that has like a map of all the places. It's every continent basically except Antarctica. And so it's inevitably going to spread everywhere. Um, and it matches exactly like the, the, the cities they make him memorize at the, yep. just before his last time. Mm-hmm. It, it's exactly the same. And then the other thing too is that at some point, Dr. Rayleigh calls the like the pharmaceutical company to warn them that something could happen, which leads them to creating like protocols. And it just so happens that this eco-fascist guy is like the person that does the does the checking. And so it's like, okay, well, he can just stash a little bit of, you know, he gets his job there. He's planted there. Oh my God. Yeah, there's like one. I was reading some article about this, and it's it's interesting. At the at the end, they summed it up by saying, "Twelve monkeys simply wants us to experience one man's predetermined journey to save humanity by sacrificing himself." So, like, he can't change anything. He just yeah. He can influence stuff, and he's probably and but he but real well. Can he influence stuff, or do they just are they guiding him to influence what they want him to do? Well. If that's the case that they're kind of guiding him, it then makes me think that the like raspy voice Louis person is actually another person that they're sending to these different places to kind of like poke at him just to, you know, influence him in some way because they clearly have done tests on his psychological psyche to know how he thinks, what would influence him. And all these things. So it's very manipulative, the entire thing. And, you know, they purposely send him to 1917. So the Dr. Rayleigh sees the photo. So she writes the book. So then she has an epiphany later. Like it's all. And she gets the bullet where the, the police guy says this, this bullet doesn't exist anymore. And that's what led her to run it. home and like, look at the. Yeah. Maybe she's already. So, yeah. Like now I want to watch this movie and like see if anybody in the panel of scientists from the future is in any of the scenes from the past, like the social ball, the airport, the different places that he's at as well as insurance. Yeah. That he's doing what he's supposed to do. I'm looking at their pictures on IMDb. It doesn't really help because it's them now. And so you can't. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I wish on IMDb, it would show you the picture on the movie of them in the movie. Yeah. But it doesn't do that. That would be nice. I mean, I guess it shows like the images from the from the movie. But yeah, I think that would be interesting. I don't know. That would be like I'm sure there's someone has made a video about or a 
a video or article about like all the little Easter eggs throughout the. I'm just, I'm blown away by that that whole thing now. And I've seen this movie. Oh, go ahead, Steve. No, you go ahead. I was just saying I've seen this movie countless times, and it wasn't until this time or the two times ago that I noticed the insurance thing and then looked it up and then was like confirmed. So I also was like, oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) The only Uh, like weird face thing that I noticed, and I I think I'm wrong, but when he's in the mental institution and he's trying to escape and he goes to the elevator, there's like that guard sitting there that says to him, that's the wrong elevator. And for like a split second on like my third viewing, I thought that was like the pimp that attacks them in the hotel. So I need to like watch it again, I guess, just to, because it was when I watched it this, this, like this evening before, before I watched it today. Let's see. I'm looking to see if maybe it had one of those situations where it was like two names, like name slash something. Did they say what his name was? No, I don't think so. Guard number seven. (laughs) Well, there is, there is pimp number one. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah. The pimp does have a name. What he is his name? Does because the the guy oh, calls him. The, yeah, those are say plain clothes. Does cop. dude have any more girls? Because n- new one who's got an act or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking. There's a bunch of people that are uncredited. Oh, that's hard to say. Traveler, drug addict. I don't see. It's funny they actually uncredited the bear because the bear is like a movie bear. That's he's a movie bear. <laughs> his name is Bart the bear. Just for anyone he's, he's out there. Um, Giving it his all. Not eating the guy. Doing a great job. I don't see, unless they give him some name that I'm not thinking of. Huh. I was think it, it was just me. It was just me trying to like look for something deep. Put everything together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, well, well, that's, that's what that a, movie does, though. Yeah. That's well, what that movie does, though. It makes you put stuff together and maybe notice things. And maybe that was intentional. Maybe they dressed him or make up to him in such a way even that would make people actually at a glance be like, was that that guy? Cause everything is from Bruce Willis's perspective. So making you yeah. feel a little crazy is actually the point. Yeah. And, he doesn't, <laughs> and it doesn't actually help him escape. He just gets then recaptured at the, at the mental right. place. And then he right. put in the little cell. Yeah. This is almost too, like he couldn't, if he had escaped, that wouldn't have fit. That wouldn't have worked. Because he needed yeah. to escape. Dr. Goings had to see him escape to then go on the path to write her book. So yeah, that's what I think also makes all of it a closed loop too, is that everything is pre- well predetermined in the sense that the doctors and scientists are sending them back. So yeah. It just, it makes me, it, 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 it makes me icky feeling because I'm like sitting here going, is he just like this little mouse in their Petri dish of a maze? And they're just like poking and prodding him and he gets his little food reward at the end. And how many loops has he done? Yeah, he probably has gone. Like, you wonder too if like he could go back in time and they could sort of erase <laughs> that piece from him having done it. Right. Like that's the idea too. Like, it reminds me of the movie Groundhog Day. Like he took him thousands of times to do, to remember certain things to have it happen. Obviously that's a different kind of time loop. Um, and, yeah. It's just like you said, we don't know how many times he's actually time traveled. So how many times has he dealt with this scenario to the point of the conclusion that they wanted him to do? Well, anyone who's hasn't, who, who, well, I mean, you've probably seen this if you are listening, but if you should go back and watch, I definitely recommend going back and watching the 30 minute um, Le, Le Jeté 
on IMDb. You can watch it in French with subtitles. I ended up watching it in English, like uh, I guess a what is that dubbed or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, made it a little easier, and I think just watching it too, um, especially since it's all these images, it kind of made it easy. And I think I was gonna say too is the music from the from the original is super super haunting. Like it, yeah. like I almost still feel like the thumping of like the heart from that music. Like it's <laughs> a brilliant movie. So that uh, short film actually reminds me of the. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this. There's a guy out there that did this whole like hour. Like it's it's like a twelve hour long process of dementia and the music that goes along with it and the images that go along with it. It's a, a crazy um, internet experience of just trying to put yourself in that sh- those shoes. That is what watching that French movie reminded me of. Hmm. And that is like that exact like disjointing, like put yourself in this position while you're watching all of these images. That that's what that French movie reminded me of. And I like it as as soon as he said that, you know, he was destined to see his own death and all this other stuff. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Very haunting. Today, two things have blown my mind about this movie. There's like a. I don't know if either of you have ever been to Berlin, but there's a Holocaust memorial there. And like in the background, they have, it's like a heartbeat constantly in the background. Oh. And it, it kind of reminded me of that because that, that place is very haunting as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just put a link to the YouTube video in the, the notes too, but I guess anyone can also just go to YouTube and uh, watch it. I definitely would, would suggest that for sure. And you can also watch 12 Monkeys for free on the Tubby. Tubi, Tubi platform, Tubi, Tubi uh, platform, not the Teletubbies. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's the, I, don't, I don't know if you have any final uh, final uh, thoughts on the on the movie. The uh, only other note that I took was it was interesting with all the saving the animals aspect of it, with all the crap that Gilliam has said. There was one point during Brexit where like he came out against Cleese because Cleese was for Brexit. And he said, the only public person that I would trust taking advice from is David Attenborough. And I just like, that was interesting from an environmental aspect, right? With, with yeah. the parallels with the movie. Interesting. Huh. So he has this, I don't know, I guess you can have weird little quirks in your belief structure. A, a broken clock is right twice a day. I yeah. mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those I, I things. Know. Yeah. Some influence somewhere along the way. It's that movie is definitely very, in my opinion, it is, it is very reminiscent of its time. 12 monkeys is, I think that it is very reminiscent of its time. It's very much something that like the, like futuristic post dystopic stuff that they were giving us. But at the same time, it's only in parallel because it's not an uplifting, you know, Bruce Willis kicks in the door and saves the girl and saves the day like a lot of those movies at that time were. I mean, we we, we talked about Demolition Man and made around the same time, you know. So, like, it's more, like, dystopic and, like, it's very much one of those movies that makes you, like, think about predestination and are you in control of your own like faculties are you in control of when you're going to die are you control in control of your own destiny in like a just basic way but also like 
like I said, time travel is very orange. The nineties definitely colored that movie way more than. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think this movie probably isn't, again, I think it's Terry Gilliam had his, you know, um, he had gotten enough. What's the word? You know, making Brazil, he, you know, he had enough cred in the business to make this movie, you know, at this time too, like it wasn't like a positive uplifting movie. Really none of his movies are very, uh, uplifting they're all pretty like like this right like there's i can't think of any movie um well fear and loathing las vegas i guess is a little bit different yeah which yeah yeah the 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 of the time thing as well is interesting because i think this was like the height of the ebola panic and it was also right at the climax of like the aids epidemic kind of toward the tail end of that and i think outbreak came out either just before or just after this 95 also yeah okay yeah i was it's funny you mentioned i was just literally typing into wikipedia i'm like i wonder when that movie came out because that was also that was based on a book i think right it was based on uh something outbreak i thought it was based on a book maybe there's one that's similar to hot zone okay is it like a Crichton book yeah i think it's either that or another one um but yeah i think you're right i think it's the the idea of like uh you don't see a lot of those movies now about like virus i guess now, now it would be like a zombie movie, right? It'd be like Last of Us or, or like, something. When did Soderbergh's movie come out? The what was that called? The one with like Matt Damon and oh, that was like just before COVID or a few years before COVID. It was about like the bat, you know, Damon's wife who is Gwyneth Paltrow like gets sick right and she dies right at the beginning and then there's a big outbreak. Is it? I forget what that's called. Yeah, um, I didn't see that one. Now I yeah. gotta go look it up. Yeah, I was looking up his movies. I can't find that one. But I know which one you're talking about. It might have come out yeah. like 2018 or 19. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just filmography. <laughs> it was a Steven Soderbergh movie, right? Or no? Yeah. I thought it I thought Contagion. It was 2011, so okay, it was so way oh. a lot longer than that. But Contagion, that's what that one That had a oh, great cast, right. too. And Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Gwyneth Pat's like Okay. Said, Jude I was Hall. like... When did a new one come out? Because the last one, yeah. Yeah, I thought for some reason, I think it was because it, they started playing it again during COVID. <laughs> That's probably why. Yeah, I mean, yeah. on the nose there a little bit, yeah. isn't it? I, you know, what's funny as I, I'm the kind of like twisted person who like during like the early lockdown was like reading books about like I was, I was reading all this dystopian sci-fi. I yeah. already liked them to begin with, but I'm like, fuck it, you know, I'm just gonna, yeah. just, I'm gonna leave <laughs> whatever. These. Yeah, and I remember reading not that, but I remember watching some other like movie just similar like that. I'm like, why could you watch this right now? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, if you can't laugh about it a little bit, I don't know. What... It's uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> Costume Winsy, Steve, thank you for, uh, for chatting about 12 monkeys. No, thanks, thanks for, for having me. me. Yeah. yeah, of course. And I forgot to ask you, Steve, you want to, do you want to tell everyone where they can listen to your podcast? Yeah. So intervention pod, um, we're on, with at the intervention pod on Instagram and uh, find us on Spotify and most places you find podcasts by just searching for the intervention. Yep. And you'll can okay. you. see a little, a link in the bottom when you're listening to this in the future. In the down there. In the, yeah. In the down. In the, <laughs> in the down well, I guess there. it's on, depending upon what app, it might be in a different direction, but <laughs> either way, you can listen to the intervention and uh, I'll list other your social media as well you know, to have for everyone who wants to check that out. Um, but you've been listening to Left of the Projector and we will catch you 
next time. <laughs>